Hello and welcome to episode number 85 of the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. Each week right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip down memory lane back 50 years in time and we bring you all the hockey news from that era. These stories are written by some of the greatest sports writers of all time and we have them right here for you now. This week we're looking at June 7th to June 13th, 1971. The second round of the playoffs is in full swing and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs every single day. The best part is it's free to play. DraftKings free to play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is answer a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's basketball games and then track your results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will hit the most threes to which team will actually score first in the game. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN, that's THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network, when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN. PN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. And don't forget that in addition to DraftKings, we are also sponsored by Newspapers.com, the world's largest online newspaper archive, and their support helps us get all the great content we bring to you. And of course, we're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company in downtown Port Coburn, Ontario, soon to be open on their patio. And if anybody gets to Port Coburn, uh, get a hold of me and we'll have a beer and a burger at the Breakwall. If you like what we do every day on Twitter and each week here on the Hockey Podcast Network, you can help us out by going to patreon.com slash hockey50years and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but we also have some really neat stuff and special content that our subscribers get several times a month. Uh, some of the stories that we've been working on, well, we brought you a, a deep dive into the death of Terry Sawchuk, and we've been looking at uh, the circumstances around Scotty Bowman left the, how he left the blues. So that's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe. So this episode is is the last big news podcast for the 1970-71 season. The NHL meetings were taking place this week 50 years ago in Montreal as they did every June and there was lots of news to be made and to report it. 
Now, I always kind of thought that this particular week in the hockey world as the beginning of the transition from one season to the next. Uh, what goes on here is a result of what took place in the NHL over whatever recently concluded hockey year it was, and it always greatly affected the new season slated to get underway in October. So let's get to all the news from this very busy week, and we'll start out with sort of a, a chronological accounting of all the week's happenings. Well, it all began with Pat Kern of the Montreal Gazette reporting on Monday on the status of two issues front and center in the NHL and near and dear to the hearts of Canadians fans, the status of both the Montreal coaching situation and, of course, Scotty Bowman, the recently deposed general manager coach of the St. Louis Blues. Pat Curran reported that rumors were persisting up to Sunday night that Bowman had the inside track on the Montreal coaching job if and when Al McNeil would step down or if he's asked to step down despite having won a Stanley Cup just a, a few weeks ago. But if there's any strength to such speculation, Bowman himself suddenly developed a new poker face to go with his disappointment on the turnabout in St. Louis. The former Blues general manager coach on Monday, completely without a job, checked in at the NHL meetings with the hordes of executives, managers, coaches, and, and reporters who were in Montreal for the meetings. And they're, of course, starting on Monday bright and early at the Queen. Elizabeth Hotel as they do every year. Bowman told Curran, it's funny how how things change the past four years. I came into town by jet carrying draft lists under my arm, but this year I drove all the way from St. Louis to Montreal by car with the wife and the baby. Scotty told Pat Curran that he expected to talk to a few hockey people, possibly about scouting until something worthwhile comes along on the NHL coaching circuit, but he denies any special appointments with Canadians general manager Sammy Pollock. Scotty said that if there was anything to the coaching story, he was sure that the Canadians would have talked to him long before now. It was well known that Scotty wasn't really interested in the headaches of being simply a coach in the NHL after having the dual role of general manager and bench boss in St. Louis, and you really can't blame him for that. But would he actually turn down just a coaching post in Montreal? Well, at this particular point in time, the coaching situation in Montreal remained up in the air. While Sam Pollock was in the hotel most of the day and night over the weekend, he made himself scarce by huddling behind closed doors, talking to possible trades with other NHL general managers after... Tuesday's interleague draft, the rosters are frozen until that draft takes place on Tuesday. Now last week, as we uh, reported, Pollock had indicated that some sort of announcement on the Montreal coaching situation was due sometime this week. He would not say what was happening. Uh, it could be an extension for McNeil for the fine job he did in winning a Stanley Cup, or it could be McNeil's announcement that he was stepping down, or it could be that he was fired, or who knows what. Some announcement is coming. My betting is that 
You don't make an announcement and tell people you're going to make an announcement if it's just a routine contract extension. The word was that since President J. David Molson of the Canadians was en route from Cleveland with a new yacht, and he passed right through Port Colborne, by the way, on the way back to Montreal, they said that Molson wouldn't be home in Montreal until Wednesday or Thursday, and the announcement would be held up until at least then. With the interleague draft coming up on Tuesday afternoon, there were a lot of stories about which players might go where. One of the more prominent names left to be left unprotected and thus available to any team for the $40,000 draft fee, which by the way was up $10,000 this year, uh, one of these guys available would be North Stars veteran goalie Gump Worsley. It was being reported on Monday morning that the Gumper would definitely be heading to one of two NHL clubs either the buffalo sabers or the detroit red wings many in the hockey world both on the management and reporting sides felt that buffalo would be a logical landing spot for gump because of general manager punch Imlac's penchant for acquiring aging veterans and squeezing every last bit of ability out of them as their careers wound down the red wings meanwhile will be in the market for some immediate help in goal after veteran Roy Edwards last week announced his retirement due to the after effects that have plagued him since he suffered a fractured skull last season. Another team listed as uh, on the list of those who might acquire Gump Worsley was the Los Angeles Kings. But it was thought that the Kings were actually more concerned about protecting young goalie Bruce Landon along with veteran Dennis DeJordy and uh, the general consensus was they wouldn't want to drop either of those men to uh, grab the aging Worsley. But there was thought that if Worsley somehow does unexpectedly make it through the interleague draft that the Kings might make a deal with the North Stars for the Gumper afterwards. Canucks general manager Bud Poyle was saying that his team would likely not participate in the interleague draft simply because he felt there would be no players available who could help his powerhouse Vancouver team. Powerhouse being a bit of a sarcastic term. Now it's funny that Bud would say this because this was long before the 5 p.m. deadline that the teams had to submit their lists of players that they were protecting but really doesn't know for sure who might be out there and you might see him uh, make a move or two he did say that he is interested in acquiring a penalty killing forward and with both retired forward Claude Provo of Canadians and Chicago right winger Eric Nesterenko likely available in the draft it might make sense for Poyle to grab one of those guys. Poyle, however, was asked about Provo and he said he's not going to draft Claude Provo, but if he's still available afterwards, he might make an offer to the Habs for his rights. What Bud is thinking here is Habs might take twenty-five grand for Claude instead of the $40,000 draft price. Another rumor had defenseman Bob Murdoch, whom the Habs had traded a couple weeks ago to the North Stars, uh, that rumor had Murdoch returning to Montreal after the draft. Now, what this would be is this familiar tactic that uh, Ren Blair and Bud 
uh, Sammy Pollock have been working on for years. Murdoch was sent to the North Stars simply so they could protect them. And then they would send them back to the Habs, allegedly as final payment for the deal a few years ago in which Minnesota had acquired fine left winger Danny Grant from the Canadians. Whatever Sammy Pollock wants, it seems Sammy Pollock gets. The interleague draft did take place on Monday afternoon. Now, this is a little different than the intraleague draft. This is where NHL teams can draft from the minor league clubs of their uh, counterparts or any other minor league club if there's a player in the minors that an NHL franchise thinks can help them. These players, uh, the NHL teams can on their farm teams protect, I think, up to 37 guys. So the pickings are pretty slim in this draft. There there was a couple of interesting moves. Uh, the Red Wings put retired goalie uh, Roy Edwards on their farm team list, and so did the Blues with goalie Glenn Hall. But to do that, each team has to ask waivers on those men even though they're retired. Well, the Penguins shocked the Red Wings and pretty well everyone else by putting in a waiver claim on Roy Edwards, and of course they got him right on the spot. Edwards, as you mentioned, as we mentioned, was retired with that fractured skull. Well, Penguins general manager coach Red Kelly figures he can talk Roy into coming back and playing in Pittsburgh next season. Glenn Hall, however, under similar circumstances, managed to pass through the waiver uh, claim period. There were only four players selected in this interleague draft, the best being former Cleveland Barons goalie property, the Minnesota North Stars, Gary Kurt, who was picked by the California Golden Seals. Now, we might have reported on this a few weeks ago, I know we did on Twitter, that Ren Blair and Gary Young, the new general manager of the Seals, had huddled together a few weeks ago and were talking about Kurt, the goalkeeper. The Seals definitely wanted a goalie to back up Gary Smith, and it was probably arranged that Kurt would be made available in this draft so the Seals, who had first pick, could scoop him up before anyone else might grab him. The big news on Tuesday that dominated the hockey scene was, of course, that intraleague draft, and there were a few surprising names that were made available as the draft lists were revealed. Among those left unprotected by their teams were Bruins left winger Wayne Carlton, Rangers defenseman Tim Horton, and right winger Ron Stewart, both former Maple Leafs, Pittsburgh right winger Andy Bathgate and goalie Al Smith and the Sabres left veteran forwards Dickie Duff, Reg Fleming and Darn Marshall up for selection. No one knew it at the time but Reg Fleming's name would be very very prominent during this draft and yet he would not even leave the Sabres organization. Now the interleague draft is usually a, a Pretty much a snooze fest because there aren't any superstars available. Uh, but this particular draft this year was made quite interesting by the exploits of Buffalo General Manager 
Punch Imlac. And as usual, Punch is always looking for a way to legally, or maybe not legally, but get away with it, a way to circumvent a very, what he feels is restrictive system. And he exploited a loophole in the rules of the draft so that uh, he was able to acquire a number of players that otherwise he wouldn't have been able to pick up for his Sabres. This was, of course, much to the chagrin of the other NHL bigwigs who wanted nothing more after a few rounds to adjourn the session and move proceedings to a local watering hole. But this draft this year took a record 14 rounds to complete and a process uh, that usually takes maybe four or five rounds at best. We'll tell you how this all happened as the Globe and Mail's Dan Proudfoot relates the Imlachian shenanigans. George Imlach, manager coach of the Buffalo Sabres, boggled the minds of his fellow hockey executives yesterday by using borderline wing Reggie Fleming to acquire four different players in the intra-league draft. Fleming is the most valuable player in the business today, boasted Imlach. He's a $160,000 hockey player. What Imlach meant was that Fleming had been used to obtain four players at the $40,000 waiver price or draft price. Four players at $40,000 each. Other general managers considered the 35-year-old Fleming more like funny money. Imlach's creative approach developed from the principle that any team drafting a player needed to offer someone in return. In other words, they have to drop a player from their protected list. Well, what Punch managed to figure out was that no one would want the once rugged uh, Fleming. So every time he drafted a player, he dropped Reggie, whom he had put on his list. He put him up there. Each time other general managers ignored Fleming, Imlach waited until his next term. Then he drafted Fleming back again onto his protected list, waited for the next turn, and then used Fleming to acquire yet another player. Punch's performance stretched the draft an hour beyond what was expected to uh, be a brief trading session of a half an hour after the, after the thing. This was only supposed to be a half an hour, and yet this went on more than 90 minutes. All other teams were ready to stop drafting after three rounds, but Imlac persisted until round number 14 by moving Fleming on and off his list. Thanks to Imlac's machinations, the Sabres obtained Danny Lawson, Rod Zane, Tom Miller, and Ken Murray for $40,000 each, each time removing Fleming from his protected list. Minnesota, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Toronto executives declined to take Fleming in return for $30,000, as was their right. They just said, we're not going to do it. But Imlac didn't get just those four players. During the, the rest of the draft, he drafted defenseman Ray McKay from Chicago, dropping Jean-Guy Talbot in return. And then he picked up Rene Ribeir from the Maple Leafs, dropping team captain Floyd Smith. Leafs didn't pick him. He picked up Hugh Harris from Montreal, dropping forward Paul Andrea. And then... Uh, 
He took Dick Duff back from his own unprotected list, dropping Robert to make room for him. But there was one snag, and that was the only misstep Imlac made in the whole day. When Rene Robert was uh, dropped by the Sabres in order to reprotect Duff, the Pittsburgh Penguins claimed Robert, and Imlac really thought he was going to get uh, Rene Robert through this. But the Penguins claimed him and he became Pittsburgh property. Now at the beginning of this draft, Imlac had left Duff, Talbot, Fleming, and Marshall, Donnie Marshall, unprotected in the knowledge that all of them are near retirement and were unlikely to be picked by any of these teams. But that was a little surprising as the Maple Leafs scooped up Donnie Marshall and no one saw that coming. Now with all the, the uh, maneuvering that Imlac did, uh, he could have used either Duff or Talbot uh, in this picking up, dropping players. But for some reason, Imlac put the finger on Reggie Fleming to be the man. He was his favorite. He drafted Reggie five times and dropped him four times. And every time he picked up a decent player, uh, he dropped the player that he had drafted in the previous round. And there was a reason for that apparent foolishness. Protected players must be waived out of the league if they fail to make their team. By exposing Murray, Miller, Zane, and Duff after drafting Fleming, Imlac prepared himself for the possibility that he'll want to send players to the minor leagues in the coming season. Imlac said it didn't work for Robert, who went to Pittsburgh as we mentioned, but it worked for six other guys. Punch said, if you don't try something, you can't succeed. We got a lot of kids, and we got them so they can play. Not that so they'll be uh, stifled on the bench, because we can't send them down if they need it. Doing this allowed them to get through the draft and the waiver process. So a guy like a young guy like Danny Lawson could play wherever the Sabres have their farm, farm team next year, be it Danny of Florida or wherever else. And this will keep these guys playing rather than stagnating on an NHL bench. Pretty smart moves by the ever-exploring these possibilities, Punch Imlac. Here's a, a complete list of how this draft went. It started off with California picking up Wayne Carlton from Boston. They dropped veteran Jerry Eamon and Boston passed on him and why wouldn't they? Then Detroit picked goalie Al Smith from Pittsburgh and they dropped goalie Jim Rutherford and the Penguins claimed their future general manager Rutherford and of course they filled with Paul Hoganson. Vancouver, who said they weren't going to participate in this draft, well, they grabbed defenseman Dennis Kearns from Chicago, and they dropped Murray Hall, but the Hawks left Hall unclaimed. Pittsburgh was next, and they picked up a pretty good minor league defenseman named Dave Burrells from Chicago. They dropped veteran left winger Dean Prentice. The Hawks did not claim Prentice. Buffalo picked up, as we mentioned, Ray McKay, dropped Jean-Guy Talbot. Chicago passed on Talbot, from whom uh, McClay, uh, McKay was taken. Chicago then had lost a maximum three players in the draft, and they weren't going to lose anybody else according to the rules. The Kings picked up goalie Gary Edwards from Buffalo, uh, and uh, surprised that they didn't keep him on the on the list, but they didn't protect him. The Kings took him, and they dropped goalie Bruce Landon, who they 
professed to be so high on. Buffalo did not take Landon, but they did fill the spot left by Edwards with goalie Norman Rocky Farr. Now, there's a little sidelight to this. The Montreal protected list featured an unknown goalie named Al Johnstone. Why did the Canadians protect Al Johnstone? Well, it was just Sammy Pollock just playing with the other GMs in the league. You see, Norman Rocky Farr was selected by the Sabres from the Canadians in the 1970 expansion draft last year. Because of that, Montreal could not lose a goaltender in the interleague draft this year. So they could have put Fred Flintstone on their protected list. It didn't matter. He, no, he couldn't have anybody taken away anyway. So that was just a little bit of playing around by uh, Sammy Pollock and uh, all related to Rocky Farr of the Sabres. Continuing with the draft's first round, Minnesota passed and then Philadelphia took defenseman Larry Brown from the Rangers and dropped Larry Hillman. The Rangers passed on Hillman. The Leafs shocked the Sabres by taking Donnie Marshall. Uh, they took him, of course, from Buffalo. They dropped the forward by the name of Brian Marshenko and Punch Imlach passed on Marshenko. The Blues took forward Mike Perizzo from New York. He was the leading scorer in the Central League last year for Omaha. St. Louis dropped a veteran Claude LaForge. Rangers passed on him. And then Montreal, Chicago, New York, and Boston passed to end the first round. In the second round, the Seals remained active, taking forward Frank Hughes from the Leafs. They dropped defenseman Doug Roberts, and the Leafs passed on Roberts. Detroit passed. Vancouver took Freddie Speck from Detroit and dropped Ron Ward. Detroit passed on Ward. Pittsburgh shocked the Rangers by taking Tim Horton. They dropped Bob Blackburn. The Rangers did not take Blackburn. And Horton immediately said he wasn't going to go to Pittsburgh. Buffalo took Rennie Robert from Toronto. They dropped Floyd Smith. The Leafs, of course, did not want Floyd Smith back. After the Kings and the North Stars passed on their selections, the Flyers took forward Frank Spring from Boston. They dropped Gary Peters, and Boston claimed Peters for their own. Toronto, St. Louis, Montreal, Chicago, New York, and Boston passed, and they moved to the third round. The Seals took their third player of the draft, grabbing Stan Gilbertson from Boston. They dropped veteran Billy Hickey. The Bruins passed on Hickey. Boston now had lost a maximum three players. Detroit passed, but Vancouver, who was going to be inactive, drafted yet another guy, young forward Ray Camot from Montreal. They dropped Jimmy Wistie. Montreal passed on Wistie. Pittsburgh passed and then Buffalo took Hugh Harris from Montreal as we mentioned. The Kings passed and the North Stars took Brian Lavender from Montreal. They dropped Bob Murdoch. Montreal picked up Murdoch to confirm that rumor and then uh, that was the third player Montreal had lost in Lavender. That was a deal prearranged. Lavender was on nobody's list but the North Stars took him. They dropped Murdoch, and then without any trade being made, Murdoch goes back to Montreal, and Sam Pollock gets the guy he didn't have room to protect on his own list. The rest of the draft up to the 14th round was all done by the Sabres, and we described all that, and that's why this thing dragged out as long as it did, but it certainly made for some interesting conversation around the Queen Elizabeth Hotel in Montreal. 
Some other news from the Tuesday sessions. While Tim Horton, as we mentioned, drafted by Pittsburgh, Tim said he's tired of hockey and he's going to retire to look after his burgeoning donut business in Ontario. Now, a lot of people didn't realize this, but at this time, Tim really wasn't greatly concerned about hockey. Tim's wife was recovering from a near-fatal drug allergy reaction that put quite a scare into the family, but she recovered fully. But at this time, uh, the Hortons had a lot more to think about than whether or not he would play in Pittsburgh. Another couple of tidbits, the Flyers announced that they had entered into a working agreement with the San Diego Gulls of the Western Hockey League. The Gulls had dropped the Red Wings as their NHL affiliate, probably because the old-style hockey guy Max McNabb, the GM coach in San Diego, could not see eye-to-eye with the Red Wings' new-age GM Ned Harkness, and really, who could? Uh, Another deal was made. The Red Wings sent forwards Johnny Kniff and Gary Breeden to the Canucks for Irv Spencer, who was drafted in the interleague draft on Monday, and forward Bobby Dillabo. The governors of the NHL also announced that they've changed the established order of postseason playoffs by by, uh, deciding that the first place team of each division should play the fourth place team and the second-place team gets the third-place team. In the past, first played third, second played fourth, and we saw teams dicking around with their games this past season in order to avoid playing the Chicago Blackhawks in the Western Division. Why would you want to play Chicago when you could play St. Louis instead? That's not possible anymore, and it was about time for this move to be made. The governors made one other rule change. They've been um, moving up and down with the uh, limit for skaters on each roster. They've decided to limit the number of players allowed in uniform for any given game to 17 skaters and two goalkeepers. Last year, it was 18 and 2, and there was no reason given for why they moved the number back, but they did. Wednesday saw the big news being... uh, the expected announcement of the retirement of, Jean, of Canadians legend Jean Beliveau did take place. Beliveau said he would take basically an unspecified position with Canadians. But one thing was clear, he was not going to be the team's coach. They said he was going to be some kind of executive vice president, but his duties weren't completely outlined. But we would see later in the week the type of thing that Jean was going to be used for with Canadians. With the interleague draft now all finished up, trades could be made again. And as expected, the North Stars sent right winger Bobby Russo to the New York Rangers as payment for the earlier deal back in May that sent Rangers captain Bobby Nevin to the North Stars. The Canadians sold retired veteran Claude Provo to... The LA Kings, not the Vancouver Canucks, as had widely believed would happen. And they also made cash deals with the California Seals, sending goalie Ray Martinuk and forward Mike Heinemann to the West Coast strictly for money. In a move that was widely suspected to be readily rubber-stamped, the American Hockey League rejected a bid by the Buffalo Sabres to establish a franchise in Dania, Florida, which is just outside of Fort Lauderdale. They're building an 8,000-seat rink there, and the league just gave as internal reasons for nixing the idea. Former Rochester American President Bob Clark and Joe Crozier, formerly the 
uh, general manager of the Western League Canucks and the general manager coach of the Rochester AHL team. They were said to have been the driving forces behind the Florida franchise application. And not, and at this point, it was completely unclear as just what would happen with the Buffalo AHL franchise now. And no one really knew where the Sabres were even going to have a farm team for next season. The reverse draft was held on Wednesday. This is another little-known draft the NHL holds every season. And this is where minor league teams can select players from the uh, protected lists, the unprotected lists, I should say, of the NHL teams. But those left unprotected in this draft are usually relegated to an organization's scrap heap for one reason or another. Philadelphia, though, might have found uh, the one gem one diamond in the rough in this draft when they took goalie Don McLeod uh, from the Detroit Red Wings and they got him. Their, their new San Diego farm team in the Western League uh, took McLeod from the minor league list of the Red Wings, but it's thought that he will be next in line behind Bruce Gamble to back up Doug Favell for the Flyers. The Rules Committee was hard at work again on Wednesday and they came up with a new process for penalizing those players who are using sticks with curved blades that exceed the NHL limit. It is now up to an opposing coach to demand that a player's stick be measured for excess curvature. To ensure against too many delays for inspection, the league provided that a coach would have to pay a two hundred dollar fine if he demanded measurement and a stick was found to in fact be legal clarence campbell nhl president said that the league governors have reduced the fee to 25 dollars which should encourage more frequent checking campbell went on to say that there's a severe penalty if a player is found to be playing with an illegal stick he gets a two-minute minor penalty and he gets a fine of two hundred dollars now $200. Campbell suggested that the wholesale breakdown in the curvature of uh, stick rules uh, took place last year was due not only to coaches fearing being fined if they were wrong, but coaches were also worried that the opposing coaches on the other team would, of course, retaliate with their own demands for stick inspection, so this should clear all that up. The Hockey Hall of Fame this week announced its new inductees. They are former Maple Leafs forward Harvey Busher Jackson, former Leaf Red Wing Ranger goalie and Kings Terry Sawchuk, along with Builder or along with Ralph Cooney Whalen of the Boston Bruins and Builder Dr. Gordon Roberts. Also named was chairman of the Chicago Blackhawks. Arthur M. Wirtz, and you gotta wonder what the reasoning was behind that. Well, we know what the reasoning was behind that. The NHL is, always has been, always will be an old boys club, and one of the oldest of those boys is Arthur Wirtz, and it's just another notch in his belt that they put there because they can. The big event of the week and the big news for Thursday was the National Hockey League Amateur Draft. There weren't many surprises, but before that happened, there was a big announcement by 
the Montreal Canadiens. Great Toronto hockey writer Red Burnett reports that the first chore in John Beliveau's new role as vice president and director of public relations or something like that for the Montreal Canadiens was to chair the press conference, which announced that Alistair McNeil was out as coach of the Stanley Cup champions and Scotty Bowman was in. Bowman, who is an honor graduate of the Sammy Pollock School of Coaching and Management, returns to the city of his birth after a successful run as manager coach of the St. Louis Blues in the expansion division of the National Hockey League. Bounced from the post where he ceased to uh, communicate with Sid Solomon III, son of the club owner, he replaces McNeil, who's out because he lost rapport with his players, both French and English-speaking players, that is. McNeil departs the Habs to take over as manager coach of the Halifax Voyagers, which is the Canadian's American Hockey League uh, farm team. And uh, this is the termination of actually one of the successful uh, coaching careers in the National Hockey League. Half a season and he wins the Stanley Cup. Bowman was indeed at the Canadians draft table at the uh, all-important amateur draft and McNeil was there as well. Also at the table, Jean Beliveau offering his input and boy wouldn't it be something to have a guy like him telling you what he thinks of these graduating juniors. To be fair, though, John couldn't have that much input. He was busy playing last year and not watching junior hockey, I'm sure. Although he's going to the American Hockey League, the Canadians uh, framed McNeil's move as a promotion in that he's taking over as manager coach of the farm team in Halifax rather than just coach. Uh, Allegedly, he's being groomed to be a future general manager of the Canadians, but I don't know how he's going to be a general manager moving past Scotty Bowman, who has NHL experience. But that's all uh, up for debate now, and the debate will continue. You know, there was, the amateur draft did take place, and there was a little bit of feigned drama at the beginning. The first pick, the first order of selection, according to Clarence Campbell, belongs to Montreal. Well, Montreal's Sammy Pollock immediately asked for time, and a hush fell over the room. Could he really not be taking Guy Lafleur and maybe going for Marcel Dion? Well, after what could only be described as a pregnant pause, Pollock did make his selection, and it was indeed Guy Lafleur of the Quebec Ramparts. Canadians had the choice, as everyone knows, thanks to a trade a couple of years ago that gave California's pick this year to the Habs. The rest of the first round looked like this. Detroit with the second selection, as expected, took Marcel Dion from St. Catharines. Picking third, Vancouver grabbed defenseman Jocelyn Gavermont from the Montreal Junior Canadiens. St. Louis had the fourth pick, courtesy of the Pittsburgh Penguins, and they grabbed Gene Carr from Flin Flon. Buffalo with the fifth pick took sniper Richard Martin, a left winger from the Junior Habs. Boston with fifth fifth pick from the Kings, defenseman Ronnie Jones from Edmonton, Montreal picking sixth again, Chuck Arneson from the Flin Flon Bombers, Philadelphia picked seventh using the Toronto pick, and they grabbed Larry Wright from the Regina Pats. 
Then, picking ninth, they took, or next again, they took Pierre Plant from the Drummondville Rangers. St. Louis had another pick, and they deferred that pick to the New York Rangers, who grabbed Steve Vickers from the Toronto Marlboros. Montreal took Murray Wilson from Ottawa, Chicago Danny Spring from the Edmonton Oil Kings, the Rangers with their own pick took Steve Durbano from the Marlboros, a little bit surprising there, and the final pick of that first round by the Boston Bruins was a truculent right winger by the name of Terry O'Reilly who played in Oshawa of the Ontario Hockey Association Junior A Series. We'll give you the uh, the best selections, I guess you could say, from each team, so you can sort of uh, judge for yourself who did the best draft in 1971. The California Seals, uh, their two best players were their two first picks, a fellow by the name of Ken Baird from Flin Flon and Richie LeDuc from Three Rivers in Quebec. Detroit, well, of course, they got Marcel Dion. They got a good goalkeeper in George Hume. Everybody thinks he'll be a good NHLer. And one, a couple of the other players they took that made the big leagues, Henry Boucher from the New York, uh, the U.S. national team, Earl Anderson from the University of North Dakota, and a tough defenseman by the name of Jim Nargang from Michigan Tech. Vancouver took three young uh, French Canadians with the first three picks, Jocelyn Gavermont, Richard Lemieux, and Bobby Lalonde, all of the Montreal Junior Canadians, nobody else that they took in this draft uh, had any type of significance in the big league. Pittsburgh's draft was pretty much a zero, although some felt that Brian McKenzie of St. Catharines might be a good player, as might Joe Norris of uh, the Toronto Marlboros. Buffalo had a good draft. They took Richard Martin from the Junior Canadians, Craig Ramsey from the Peterborough Peets, and defenseman Billy Height from the Saskatoon Blades, and all, as we know now, would have significant NHL careers. Good job by the Sabre scouting staff. Without a first-round pick, the Kings really didn't have a lot to work with. They did get future NHLers Vic Vanaski from Denver University and Neil Komodoski, a defenseman from the Winnipeg Junior Jets. North Stars really didn't have a lot of success in this draft, but one gem they did uncover in their second-last pick in the draft was center Mike Antonovich from the University of Minnesota. He would play a, a lot more significance in the... Uh, future World Hockey Association coming up in a couple years but the North Stars didn't have much else although they did get a Rob Norris from Regina and Ron Wilson from Flin Flon. Flyers with their two first round picks took center Larry Wright uh, from the Regina Pats and Pierre Plant from the Drummondville Rangers. Both of those guys would make the NHL but there were some players that uh, could have been taken at that spot that didn't go that went a little better Larry Wright was a highly touted junior never really made a name for himself in the NHL though Toronto had no first round pick having traded it away in the deal for Bernie Perrant last January and their first pick was a fellow by the name of Rick Kehoe from the Hamilton Red Wings and he forged a very NHL career better than many of the first round picks that went before him. At least picked a, a couple of other guys that would have a decent careers. Dave Forche, a defenseman from St. Catharines and Gavin Kirk of the Toronto Marlboros who did not make a big name for himself in the NHL but did play well 
in the World Hockey Association. The two best picks of the St. Louis Blues were forward Gene Carr from the Flin Flon Bombers and Peterborough Pete's goalie John Garrett. Montreal, of course, had an amazing draft as they always do. Their picks included, of course, the first overall guy, Guy Lafleur, also Chuck Arneson from the Flin Flon Bombers, Murray Wilson from the Ottawa 67s, a defenseman named Larry Robinson from the Kitchener Rangers, uh, the Sorrell Blackhawks goalie Michelle DeGuise, who starred in the Memorial Cup playoffs, was also a good pick. And way down at the bottom of the list from the Oshawa Generals, a center by the name of Peter Sullivan, who would again be another very good WHA player. The only player of consequence selected by the Blackhawks uh, was left winger Dave Crisco of the Edmonton Oil Kings. The Rangers did pretty well, at least in the first three rounds, where they got Steve Vickers uh, and... Steve Durbano from the Toronto Marlboros, although Durbano's career would be a checkered one as he continually dealt with substance abuse problems and just a, a general lack of control of his emotions. And they also got forward Tommy Williams and Jerry Butler from the Hamilton Red Wings. The Bruins didn't do as well as everybody thought they would. They had two first round picks, their own at the last, and of course the early one where they took Ron Jones, the defenseman, he did not have a great career, although he did play in the NHL. Terry O'Reilly, a very good, long, and solid career. And the third NHLer that they picked in that draft was a goalie from Portage La Prairie Terriers by the name of Kurt Ridley, who would play in the NHL, although he was never considered a number one man or a star in the hockey's big league. As the week was drawing to a close, some troubling news came out of Vancouver where team older owner Medicor of Minneapolis failed to make a $3.5 million loan payment and trading on the company's stocks on the stock exchange was immediately halted. Earlier in the day, the Canucks' four Canadian directors on their board, Sarah McLean, Coleman Hall, Frank McMahon, and Max Bell all resigned from the board. And that was quite a shock. And uh, calls all over Canada came for Canadian ownership of their third and of the country's third NHL team. But nothing was uh, settled in these early days. The four Canadian directors, in a letter to the club's 2,000 shareholders, stated their intention to step down because of a disagreement with the majority American ownership over huge transfers of money from Canada to the United States. Under terms of an escrow agreement of May 12th in which Medicor's shares were put into custody of the Montreal Trust Company of Canada, after a buyer or buyers are found, uh, the team will probably be sort of auctioned off. Medicor will have 72 hours in which to make a counteroffer to keep their shares on the team. Montreal Trust officials indicated today that bids should be sent to Royal Securities which is named as the sales agent for the assets of Metacore, specifically the Vancouver Canucks. There were some hints of some sort of financial scandal around the financial dealings of Metacore, whose president, Tom Scallon, readily proclaimed, move along folks, nothing to see here. While in the background it was reported, there was some furious scrambling going on ahead of the team 
going on the auction block. And there you have it. That's this week's episode, everyone. A very busy week in the National Hockey League. And what did we learn? Well, we learned to punch him. That pays a lot of more attention to detail than just about every other National Hockey League general manager, with the possible exception of Sammy Pollock. Punch's attention to detail garnered his Sabres a lot more players than they would have normally gotten in the interleague draft, and they got some much-needed depth. We learned that Scotty Bowman would indeed become the next coach of the Montreal Canadiens, and he would settle for being just coach and not general manager. And we found out there's some troubling financial dealings surrounding the majority owners, American owners, of the Vancouver Canucks, and things were so bad that the team's four Canadian directors resigned from the board. We will be back with the show next week. We have a few stories we're working on. The three Canadian teams in the NHL will continue to make news next week, and we'll have those details for you. There will be repercussions over the Junior A Eastern Canadian Final. Uh, the forfeit by the St. Catharines Blackhawks will cause some uh, repercussions in the OHA, and we'll report on that. And a very prominent couple of hockey personalities will be arrested next week, and we'll tell you who they are and what they're charged with. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is wonderfully produced by Andy Cole. Can't thank him enough for the great job he does here. Uh, Andy also produces podcasts for anyone else who's interested. If you're interested in putting something together, contact me. I'll hook you guys up. The very popular Juno-nominated Toronto Indie Rock Group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our introduction music. If you ever get a chance to see them perform live, they put on a great high-energy show. Uh, the band is going to do some live performances this summer when it's deemed safe enough. Uh, it looks like there may be something in Edmonton later in the summer and possibly uh, in Ontario as well. We don't know about all those things yet, but uh, we're hearing that the band will soon be performing and I can't wait to see them live again. Our uh, other musical pieces and sound effects are uh, created by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, Toronto Globe and Mail, and of course the many publications found at newspapers.com. You can get us on Twitter every day during the hockey season and many days during the summer uh, at the address at Hockey50Years. We're on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey. Our WordPress site is Hockey50YearsAgo.com and of course on the Hockey Podcast Network every week. Thanks to everyone who's tuned into our shows all season. Uh, this has been a great first season for the Buffalo Sabres and Vancouver Canucks and an interesting season for the NHL as well. And we'll hope you'll be back with us next fall for the 71-72 season. And we'll be around uh, with the podcast this uh, through the summer. We'll give you some more uh, feature stories as well. Thanks again, everyone. And we will see you next time. When the ice breaks-